For a more immersive experience, I recommend you wear headphones for this podcast. Welcome to Meliminal, Episode 2, The Ghost of a Memory. You're probably wondering what happened to me after the last time we talked. The bad news is, my poor little car suffered some serious cosmetic damage. The good news is, I'm no longer having to live in her. Let me get you caught up in case you've been left behind or this is your first stop on the highway of this podcast. First things first. I'm Caro, and I'm an employee at a local mom-and-pop gas station out on Old Highway 5. I work the night shift, 11pm to 7am all by myself, tucked away in a small convenience store deep in the woods. I took that job in a moment of desperation, cause I've been kicked out of my house for various reasons I won't get into right now, but I'm sure you can deduce that for yourself along the way. Anyway, Mr. Sam, the owner of the Gasco, found out that I was living in my car in a spectacular fashion after almost being consumed or, well, something, I never did figure that out, out by the woods and shuffled me off to his house where he and his wife took me in and let me sleep in their eldest daughter's room. That didn't end up lasting for long, but for now it was okay enough. Bella's room was fascinating to me. I remember lying on the bed and staring at the -the glow-in-the-dark stickers on the ceiling. The peeling posters taped intact all over the walls of various interests, everything from horses to boys to music. Dresser top was cluttered with knickknacks and books, jewelry, junk, makeup, collectible figures of colorful ponies. I didn't snoop. I tried really hard, actually, not to touch or move anything, but I couldn't help but sit and marvel at the, well mess. (laughs) I had never been allowed to have a mess. My childhood room had no posters or pictures on the walls of my interests. There was no clutter on the desk or dresser, and all my clothes were folded or hung up in perfect fashion. Frilly pink curtains and fluffy bedspread made to perfection without so much as a wrinkle every morning. It didn't look like anyone lived in my room. It well, it looked like a dollhouse, and if I'm being honest with you, listener, it it was. So you can imagine how cool it was to me that Bella's interests, pieces of her, were pasted all over this room. It was glorious, but it wasn't mine. I had no space that was mine. I barely had clothes, and an Ikea shark is my comfort. And that kind of sucked. And of course there were the nightmares. Creeping darkness, crushing weights, trapped and alone, crackling static. But we'll get to that another time. Nightmares were nothing new. I tried not to dwell on it too much, though. I did my shifts, and then I tried to figure out what to do with myself in my free time. Fortunately, it seemed there was plenty. Something I realized pretty quickly about my particular Gasco is that everyone there was over 45 and super weird. And then there was me. So what happens when a kid who doesn't even know how to live on their own rolls into a place run by the strangest, most eclectic group of adults you've ever seen? Well, naturally, I ended up with nine parental figures of varying degrees. 
Suddenly, old Jebediah, the on-deck mechanic who lived on the property, was teaching me things every young man, lady, or whoever else should know about my car. Like changing the oil and swapping a flat, changing out spark plugs, and even helping me buff out the scratches the forest caused. He'd always stroll in the store just before 11.30 to wish me a good night and get a cup of hot water for his tea. Whistling a little tune, You Are My Sunshine. Another worker, Bev, cornered me one afternoon, offering to fix up my hair. Okay, I should admit it was a pretty shoddy job. I'd done it myself and it was grown out weird, but I was skeptical that a six-year-old part-time clerk with old lady blue curls claimed she could help me out with that. Till she pulled out her credentials. Apparently, sweet old Bev used to be a hairstylist to the stars. Well, almost. The B-listers, at least. But that meant that one of her clients had been 80s horror starlet and world's greatest final girl, Goldie Belmonte. If you don't know who Goldie is, listener, I don't know what to tell you. You're missing out on such gems as The Menacing 2, A Reckoning, and Blood Moon Massacre. As it turns out, <laughs> Bev hadn't cut hair since 1992. But that's okay. I hear mullets are in these days. And then, of course, there were the stories. Sitting around in the break room after messing with my car all morning, listening to the elder gas station employees tell me horrifying tales of ghosts and spooky things while wagging their fingers at me to punctuate their point. As if I hadn't been dealing with my own ghosts and monsters all my life up till now. I didn't tell them that, though. Just listened with rapt attention, despite knowing at least from their perspective, it was all made up to spook what they perceived as the unspookable kid who thought they knew everything. Apparently, Sam hadn't ratted me out about my previous car adventure, where he'd found me sobbing on the floor, completely scared out of my skull, having a meltdown. Thank you, Sam. <laughs> anyway, if any of you are listening to this now, God I hope not, to be perceived, yikes. I guess now I'm the one telling you the stories. So yeah, basically my days were actually really nice. But during the nights, the strangeness was just beginning. So during those break room regalings, I did at least figure out why no one wanted to work this shift. Of course, like I said, the adults thought it was all nonsense and made up. People are like that, see. Most don't believe in what they can't see or explain. It's just... Haha, it's a g, g ghost as a joke to cope with what their brains can't comprehend. Denial or trying to rationalize the unrationable. But the thing is, the gas station and the surrounding area did have activity. I said earlier that I thought maybe part of it was me, and I still think that. But it was undeniable that the area itself had an energy. And denier, non-believer, jokester or not, people still feel that kind of thing. We sense even what we don't believe. See it? Notice it? Less likely. But our bodies know. The hair standing up on the back of your neck. That weird jolt of energy that makes your whole being feel like it's clipped out for a second. Walking into a room and forgetting why you were there. Left standing, uncomfortable feelings creeping up your spine like cold fingers. Rationalize it away, but the truth is there's usually something. And this gas station, well, it was full of somethings. So the others, they refused to work the overnights. And anyone knew that Sam hired, he wasn't able to keep on for long. And maybe, I wonder if just maybe, it's also why the locals don't really come through here at night. Cause they know, 
repelled by uneasiness. Which was fine by me. Last thing I needed was the locals snooping around to see what I was up to now. Why would they care about a random teenager, you ask? Trust me, listener. If you've never lived in a small town, it's hard to explain to you how everyone cares about everyone else's business. Especially the messy stuff. And my business was messy. Now that's not to say that people never came through. Of course they did. And I'd buzz them in through the locked door. It could be late night travelers, party goers, kids on their way back from a concert. Funny enough, sometimes it was even people who heard this place was haunted. The station has stories around it, you know. It's not America's most haunted gas station or anything, but I think all areas have their local haunted locations that everyone just kind of knows about. So they'd come in and ask me if I knew. Hey, you know this place is haunted, they'd ask. I'd laugh. Of course I know. Who do you think is haunting it? I'd ask them back with a grin and a wink. This often made them pause and look at me a little longer than usual. Most of the employees here wore the usual polo and jeans uniform, but Sam had issued me the retro-style coverall like Jeb wore because I begged and pleaded. Give me a break, it just looked cooler, okay? So I might have looked a little bit like it was still 1973 in here, haircut and all. They'd shake it off and laugh, and sometimes they'd sit and drink coffee at the little counter that faced the windows, watching out through the parking lot, hoping to see something. Occasionally, I'd catch that they were actually staring at me in the window's reflection, still unsure why I made them uneasy, why when they looked at me, they'd have a strange sense of deja vu. I never told them that it's probably because they walked by a picture of a younger version of me on a magazine cover at some point in their life, so my face was burned into the back of their brain somewhere. My familiarity was benign, but I thought spooking out the amateur ghost hunters was pretty fun if I'm being honest with you. I did always find it weird, though, that they never reacted to the shadows moving on the edges of the parking lot, or the greenish glow of the Volvo's headlights flashing briefly through the glass before disappearing into the dark. Anyway, I was naive in thinking I was used to the supernatural somethings, the old-timers were right in the beginning. I did kind of think I knew everything, or at least more than they did. After all, I was used to this. I'd been dealing with supernatural stuff all my life. Or so I thought. The somethings that I knew were like sleep paralysis demons. Inhuman shapes. Wailing and clawing and reaching. Sometimes, when I was younger, I'd end up with scratches or bruises. Things screamed my name chased me down in the dark, hunted me like a waking nightmare. But no one really believes you when you tell them that you got attacked by things that don't exist. Well, almost no one, I say, thinking affectionately of you who will never hear this. And so I coped. I smiled. I think a lot of people go through that in their own kind of way. Things calmed down the bit the older that I got, then I got here. But the gas station hauntings were different than the things I'd known. Stranger. Less monstrous, but somehow that made them more unsettling to me. I knew how to deal with the things from my childhood. They were usually triggered by something happening in my life. High emotions or something like that. And I know that doesn't sound great, like, why would I rather be chased down by a monster? Well, I wouldn't. But at least with the monsters, I knew what to expect. 
Things just happened at the station. There was no warning, no rhyme or reason that I could see. No way to predict when I might have an unusual or nerve-wracking night. The first few times the chill erupted goosebumps all over my body. I'd spun around from stocking shelves to see someone standing there in the aisles, staring at nothing. I'd glance at the door, locked, closed just as I left it. The first few times I tried calling out, Hi, can I help you? Customer service voice. And sometimes they'd turn, slowly. Blank expression on unreadable faces. Forgettable ones. I don't know how to explain that to you, but there was something about them that I could not put a finger on. And now, I can't even tell you what they look like. It was as though I'd suddenly gone face blind. I could see faded bleached out colors. I could see the faint flickering, the graininess and static rippling the air like decades old VHS security tapes stacked on the counter. I remember the weird detail of their hair, always looked like they'd rubbed it with a balloon, floating slightly out from their skull, which stuck out like childhood games. And I remember wondering if I touched one, would I get a shock? But their faces? Complete blank. Did they even have any? I don't know. It's not like I can't remember these things. I can describe every ghost hunter who has ever come through here in police sketch level detail, right down to the freckles on their faces and the color of their eyes. But not the static people. There were other times I called out to them and they didn't turn. They just stood, unfazed by my presence running flickering fingers over pamphlets that told you all about the wonders of Western Washington, as if they didn't hear me. Those ones I found as time went on were predictable, and they played on repeat. A ghost of a memory. That was a comfort at least, and it told me that I was starting to learn the rules of the unknown, bit by bit. It was funny though, when I touched the pamphlets later, they always had that fuzzy non-feeling that you get when you hold your fingers close to the screens of the vintage TVs that Sam had the security cameras hooked up to. I shivered a lot at night, even though it was summer and the humidity was so thick you could cut through it. After checking and finding out that nothing was wrong with the AC, the adults pitched together and bought me a jacket more appropriate for work, and also more appropriately my size. The battle jacket that I've been wearing up till now was five sizes too big, and it made it really hard to do my job of unloading and stocking, since no matter how much I rolled up my sleeves, they eventually would shook out and cover my hands. The new jacket even had my work name stitched on the left breast, Caro, in cursive. No one questioned why they'd come in the morning to me trying to warm up after an 80-degree night. I was very lucky that most things that were odd about me they just went with and did their best to fix whatever the problem was. You're so little, so pale, so skinny. You need to eat more, honey. Come here and bundle up. Don't you worry. Lenora's wife made you dinner. It's in the break room fridge. Careful, honey. It's a little bit spicy. You need to spend more time in the sun. <laughs> Sometimes I wondered if I could just tell them the truth. Maybe even just Sam, but the truth about the supernatural had never really done me any favors in the past, so I resorted to what I always did, and smiled, and thanked them, and continued to face the unknown of the night shift in silence. Hey, at least nothing was attacking me so far, 
It had been a month since the incident in the woods, and a month since I'd been sleeping in Sam's daughter's bedroom and spending most of my other waking moments bouncing between the gas station and a nearby park I'd frequented in my tweens. A month of specters and real weirdos, and yet I didn't regret anything. It felt like I had found a place that I could belong for a little while. If I could stay safe in the nighttime hours, maybe I could figure out my life in the daytime ones. So far, it at least felt like a right direction. I clocked in one evening, relieving Edgar, who left complaining that some teens had been racing down the highway and doing donuts in the parking lot earlier, and they'd knocked over the trash cans by the pumps. Park's sunny in the back, he said, referring to the Dotson that the others had affectionately dubbed for me, in case they come back and keep the doors locked. He reminded me that I didn't have to open the doors for anyone if I didn't want to, and I waved him off with a joking, Yes, Dad, I know, smartass remark. Of course, it was dark already, and there wasn't much to do until my real work started around 2 a.m. You see, you gotta wait for a bit before turning over a day. Doing it right at midnight could mess up numbers, so I usually waited until the early hours. I sat at the counter, flipping the pages of a comic book I'd found lying around and avoiding the windows. I don't like looking out front glass windows into the night. One of my biggest fears was looking up and seeing something standing there in the dark. It happened way too much already, and <laughs> was still horrifying every time, so I avoided it. At 11.30 on the dot, Jeb came in, lifted his hand in greeting. I nodded, flicking the pages in my book, him whistling his little tune, neither of us saying much while he got his hot water. I pulled my jacket on and heard water hit the floor. Don't worry about it, I called. I'll mop it up in a bit. He nodded and left, same as always, and I continued to read my comic for another hour or so. Time stretched on, and finally headlights swung into the parking lot, pulling up and clicking off. Aha, a real person. So I went ahead and buzzed them in, watching while they browsed around, eyes wandering. One guy got a slushy and came up to the counter, expression bright. He leaned on one elbow, giving me a knowing grin and flicking a glance over me, sizing me up. And I knew what he was about to say before he even said it. Hey, I hear this place is haunted. Sure is, I told him, ringing him up. Do you get scared, working here all by yourself at night? He asked, grin widening, a certain kind of glint in his eye. I sighed on the inside. Nope. Got an all-night mechanic on duty and a shotgun behind the counter. I matched his cocky expression with my own. I didn't take kindly to being eyeballed by some creep in the middle of the night at my job, for God's sake. He backed up a bit. Was it y'all drag racing up the highway earlier tonight, I asked? He grinned again. That's your Dotson in the back? Up for a race, kiddo? He asked. I started laughing. Kiddo? <laughs> okay. Oh no, are you kidding me? I paused and glanced out the window. The Volvo's mine, I said. He looked at me, frowning, and glanced over his shoulder. Somehow acknowledging that it was there, and real, made them notice it too, 
It had been parked there when they came in, but they didn't notice it, of course, till now. Why are the headlights on? He asked. I shrugged. Don't know. Does that sometimes. Ever since the lake. I made eye contact with him again and smiled. Hey, if it was gonna be cruising my lot on the regular, I may as well use it to my advantage. The lake, he asked, still staring at it. The headlights were struggling, flickering, greenish tinge. The car pulled out and rolled slowly and soundlessly through the lot. No one was sitting in the driver's seat. Of course not. There never was. It does that too, I said, handing him a receipt, letting my unnaturally cold fingers brush his. He jerked his hand back with a start. You okay, kiddo? I asked and winked. His buddy leaned in. You saw that, right? He whispered loudly. His friend nodded. They both looked back at me. I was stalking cigarettes and whistling, you are my sunshine, to the ceiling. Is it safe to go out there? They asked me. Just as safe as it is staying in here, I replied. That seemed to spook them enough. They left in a hurry and tore out of the lot like a bat out of hell. I laughed a bit to myself. Maybe not all hauntings were so bad. That was a new feeling. I sat on the counter and texted Jeb that some creeps had come through. Even though I hadn't told anyone about the supernatural stuff, people knew the night shift could be sketchy in other ways that involved living, breathing human beings. And he liked me to let him know so he could come round if needed since he lived on the edge of the property. He usually answered with that silly cool guy emoji with the little sunglasses. No reply tonight, but it was late, like 3.30 in the morning by this time, so he was probably asleep. He didn't meet me that morning when I got off work, either. And no one answered the door when Sam went to check on him, when he didn't show for his shift. And somehow, listener, you ever have that moment where you already know how things are going to be? The tears started falling before I even saw the coroner's van. Because, you see, <laughs> I had suddenly remembered that when Jeb came in for his nightly hot water, I never actually buzzed him in through the locked door. Sam closed the station at night for a week. I was pretty unconsolable. I was acquainted with grief, but in a different kind of way than this. Jeb treated me like the grandkid he'd never had, and... I'd be forever grateful to him for the things he taught me in the short time I knew him. He ignited a fire for cars and mechanics, something I'd never been allowed to think about, much less explore. And he proved to me that there were boomers who will look at you, listen to what you have to say, and accept it like it's no big deal. There weren't many of us at the funeral. Jeb didn't have any family left, and mostly we were what he had, but... I'd come to find out it was like that for most of us at the Gasco. I said it before, haunted places collect haunted people. So, listener, maybe it's strange of me to find comfort in this. But on most nights, he still comes in for his cup of hot water. A regular fixture, walking his regular path like he'd done for the last 30 years. Moving slowly flickering like the Volvo, leaving behind a puddle of water on the floor and the feeling of crackling electricity hanging thick in the air. 
the ghost of a memory. The most comforting part is that this time, I can remember his face. And I wonder if that's because this time, the memory I'm seeing on repeat is mine. Thanks for joining me for this episode of Maliminal. Be sure to follow social media or subscribe for updates. Want to know more now? This podcast is actually based on a webcomic, and you can read it right now for free on Tapas and Webtoon. Just search for Maliminal, a horror romance about me, Caro, my podcast, and my desperate attempt to win a grouchy barista's heart. Or search for Seemingly Dark, a long-running supernatural comic full of ghosts, mysteries, and of course, I'm there too. Follow the creator, Raptor Jewels, on Instagram or Twitter, or follow Seemingly Dark on Tumblr. Logo and music design is by SnakePixel on Twitter. You can support this podcast by joining Raptor Jewels' Patreon. A special shout out and thanks to my current Patreons, and hopefully, I'll see you soon.